Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. to the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast, your source for the everyday inspiration and practical tips that make international travel accessible to everyone. Hey guys, this is episode 85 of the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast and I am Jackie and today we are doing another Ask Jackie session because we're getting some good questions that take some time to answer. So if you missed the last episode, we talked about how to navigate airports, the importance of and difference between required and recommended immunizations, and also how to navigate proof of onward travel and what that means. So check that out if any of those speak to you. Um, before we get into today's questions, I want to remind you to pick up my free packing guide at the brand new and improved thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash resources. There is a special gift in there for you that has to do with my online course as well, the Budget Minded Traveler Blueprint, which is a wealth of information for questions like these and more. So definitely check that out if you are enjoying these Ask Jackie episodes. All right, let's get to this once again. And we're going to start right out of the gates with a big one. Nicole asks, how do you calm the tiny voice of fear in the back of your mind as a woman of getting raped or killed? I love traveling, but my mom has watched Taken a few too many times. Um, this is a real question and I'm going to give you a real answer. You are just as likely to have something happen to you in your own backyard as you are traveling. You can find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in the world. So take precautions, listen to episode 64 of this show. It has a lot of first time traveler safety tips. Don't leave your common sense at home, but don't be a fear monger either. Most people are good. And most of the people that you meet on the road are good people. And if you don't travel because of this, then fear wins every time. And I shudder to think of what would happen if too many people start giving into fear. Also, there is a whole module on safety in the Budget Minded Traveler Blueprint as well. So that is a good question, a very real question. It's not something that we should ignore, but it's also not something that should keep us down. Hollywood is way too good at scaring people these days. Also, we recently published a community sourced blog post on how to tell your parents you're traveling solo. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes page. Um, and so there's some ideas there. If any of you are struggling to explain to your friends or family how you plan to go and travel the world on your own, there's some ideas of how other people have done it. So I'll link to that in the show notes and uh, you guys can find the show notes for this episode at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 85. All right. Lauren asks, what do you do when you're planning a trip to a less traveled region or country? How do you plan a trip when you have limited resources available to you? So you guys, do you remember the days before the internet? <laughs> because believe it or not, 
there were travelers before there were guidebooks or blogs or any kind of online resources that do indeed help make travel easier. But I mean, I even started traveling well before Facebook ever existed back when I used to have to use a calling card to make contact with my parents once a week from a landline back when the electricity at the internet cafe in Costa Rica would go out in the middle of writing a huge email update to my friends and family back home before any of us had cell phones to coordinate meeting points for our weekend excursions. But you know what? We figured things out and we all survived. So my point here is ignite the explorer in you. If you are traveling to off the beaten path destinations, something tells me you are an explorer anyway. So trust your own resourcefulness. You might surprise yourself. It's always a good idea to check travel.state.gov to make sure that you are aware of the civil state of your destination. You know, like, so you're not going to head into a war zone or anything, but generally speaking, as long as the destination is open to tourism, which accounts for most countries in the world, you will be able to figure out what to do once you get there, even without any help. Listen to episode 18 for guidance with transportation logistics, but more importantly, just trust your gut. You will know what to do to find shelter and food and water to keep your travels going. So don't be afraid to go somewhere that you know nothing about. You will figure it out. All right. Dusty asks, what is the best way to travel from country to country in Europe for both Western and Eastern Europe? Train, bus, flying? Uh, Again, I'm going to reference episode 18 for this one, which covers transportation logistics overseas. But for Europe specifically, yes, all of the above. I will put a link in the show notes page to a post that helps you navigate budget airlines like Ryanair or EasyJet because those are great options for getting in and around Europe, especially when you're booking far in advance. If you know your dates, those flights can be really cheap. I will also post a link to uh, a post about getting a URL pass. Uh, or you can find it at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash URL. And that will help you understand when a URL pass is a good idea and when it isn't because it it isn't always a good idea. But trains are very prevalent, obviously, in Europe. The prices for trains go up the closer you get to your date. So it's also a good idea to book those in advance if you can online It's helpful to download the app in whatever country that you are in. Download the app for the trains in that country. So at least you have the schedule. It shows the prices on there. Sometimes you can even purchase right from the app. That's helpful. Last minute train tickets can be very expensive. So just keep that in mind. There are also several bus lines that travel internationally throughout Europe. And those can be very affordable like Megabus, Flixbus, or even Busabout. Um, I've been on Busabout and it's amazing. You can go to the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash Busabout to learn more about how they do hop on, hop off options, uh, which are super convenient, especially if you're a solo traveler. And I'll list those on the show notes page. You can also rent a car with enough people. This can be a really super great option. We all love a good road trip um, and it'll get you to far more places than public transportation can. Uh, And I'm going to link to one more page on the show notes page about renting a car in Europe, or you can find it at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash rental car 
Europe, no spaces. Uh, because there are a few things to kind of be aware of if you are going to be renting a car in Europe. So check that out. Um, and if you're driving right now or running on a treadmill or you know you can't take notes, remember that all of these links and notes will be provided for your easy access at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 85. So if you remember no other links from today's episode, just remember that one and check it out later. Um, regarding Eastern versus Western Europe, it actually doesn't make that much of a difference. I've traveled personally on a lot more buses in Eastern Europe and more trains and flights in Western Europe, but that doesn't mean that they all don't exist. I would recommend using roamtorio.com to see all the possible ways to get from point A to point B. It's a really great resource and that's Rome to like the number two, Rio, Rome to Rio. Dot com. And that'll at least get you started. And from there, you can find the bus companies that you need to make those trips or how long it'll take you in the car. Uh, and you can see what flights are available, et cetera. So it's a really good resource there, Rome to Rio. All right, moving right along. Matt asks, how do you go about finding an apartment when staying long-term abroad? I actually get this question all the time. So I'm glad that we're bringing it up on the show. So far in the last couple of years, I have lived in three apartments, sort of long-term abroad, uh, one in Italy, one in Argentina, and one in Mexico. One of these I found through a Google search and the other two were listed on Airbnb. So here's the thing with staying long-term. It sounds like long-term to us, but it's also sort of short-term because really one to three months is extremely short-term. It's just kind of long-term for a traveler. And the problem with this is you have to get a fully equipped apartment rather than unfurnished. I mean, unless you really plan on furnishing an entire apartment, which I kind of doubt, you need furnishing. You need an equipped kitchen. And in my case, it has to have Wi-Fi already running, et cetera. It needs to be live-in ready, not just move-in ready, unless you really plan to be there for a long time. And we're talking one to two year lease in that case. So with these short-term agreements is that you pay for it. In my experience, it can cost three times more, easily three times more to have one of these apartments that are completely furnished and ready for you than it costs to get a regular empty apartment on a long-term lease like locals would do. So if you're looking for short-term, be prepared to pay for it. And if you're looking for long-term, don't use Airbnb. Find the local bulletins. Uh, You can use Craigslist, search on Google. I once found an apartment in Italy on Craigslist years ago, and I actually only stayed for four months, but I did find it on Craigslist. Craigslist does exist in other countries, Um, but it's not often their go-to. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of research on good old Google to figure out how locals list their apartments in other countries. So do a lot of research to get an idea of a price. And if you are going to contact an apartment through Airbnb, which I have done a couple of times, I've done it two different ways. Um, Once I, I actually booked the apartment for a couple of nights to try it out and I emailed the host ahead of time asking about the possibility of renting long, long term. And then we discussed it in person once I got there. I've also just flat out emailed the host and asked about long-term rentals. Uh, Airbnb is a really great place to find these apartments. 
And then you kind of just take it off Airbnb, but you didn't hear it from me. For the Google one, I search, I just searched for apartments for rent in, you know, the town that I was looking in. And I stumbled across a property management company that had several apartments for rent. And I looked at a whole bunch of them online. And then I emailed them and I did everything directly through their site. And on that one, I had to commit sight unseen. (laughs) I actually had to pay a deposit before I even arrived to town. Um, So I kind of took a risk and I ended up absolutely loving it. I will post a couple of links on the show notes page as well to videos of these apartments. Uh, One was in Bariloche, Argentina, and one was in Loreto in Baja, California in Mexico. Um, I actually did little video tours of them. It was pretty fun. So you can see what kind of apartments I'm talking about. I will link to those. Uh, So yeah, it really just takes a little bit of research to find these apartments, to see what neighborhoods they're in, make sure they're in good locations. Uh, You know, you might need to set up an appointment to see the place, or you might have to commit sight unseen like I did. Also, if you establish contact with someone and they don't end up having a good fit for you, you can always ask them while you have communication with them, Uh, if they know anyone who does, you know, if they have any friends, I mean, a lot of times these people know each other, you know, and they're aware of other apartments that might be for rent. Um, I've done that a couple of times too. So just do some Google research, you know, by typing apartment for rent in X town or something similar to that, or use Airbnb or maybe couch surf with someone and ask them first. I've actually done that too. I couch surfed with a local when I moved to Bariloche in Argentina and, uh, She did give me some good tips, although I ended up finding my apartment through Airbnb that time. Um, But you know, there's, you just need to talk to people, just get out there, do some research and uh, know what your budget. Oh, by the way, I'll mention these apartments that I have rented have been anywhere from 400 euros to $700. Um, and so it's, it's not as cheap as I would have imagined, uh, to rent in the places that I've rented, but that I, I, I know that that's because of the style of apartment, you know, that I had to have a, a fully furnished place ready to go. So, um, keep that in mind for me, those rental prices were very similar to what I would expect to pay in Montana. Um, and so for me, it didn't, it wasn't cheap. Like that was normal for me. I know depending on where you come from, that might sound really cheap to you, but that's relative. So, uh, but that's an idea for you. I hope that that is helpful. And one last thing, if you are going to use Airbnb, um, and you haven't used Airbnb before, I have a link that can get you $40 off your first stay. So I will put that link on the show notes page as well. I think I already have at least 15 links for you guys on the show notes page at this point, And there's going to be a bunch more. So this is a super resourceful episode. Don't forget the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash 85 for all of these goodies that I am I'm dishing out here. Uh, all right, moving on. Megan asks, have you ever lost your passport while traveling? And if so, what did you do? And if not, what would you do? Uh, first off, there's also a section about this in the Budget Minded Traveler Blueprint. See you guys, I promise it's comprehensive. <laughs> I have not personally lost my passport, but my travel buddy did once and we got super lucky because we happened to be in Rome at the time. And she happened to be German, which at least is EU. Uh, So we immediately went to the German embassy 
And we immediately got turned away because they needed passport sized photos from her. So we went to get those. And then we went back to the embassy where we spent hours while she filled out paperwork and got a new emergency ID card issued because we were heading back to Germany the very next day. So that was a quick story, but moral of the story, it would have been very helpful had she had copies of anything showing her face and birth date, like any sort of alternative ID. Um, But she had her entire wallet stolen with all of her cards, which were in the same place. So lesson A, don't do that. Don't leave all of your cards in one place. Keep copies of or even just an extra ID stashed somewhere in your bag in case you need to prove that you are who you say you are. Uh, And B, carry an extra passport sized photo if you really want to, or at least get them done before you go to the embassy when you lose your passport. And this just saves time. Um, And you know what? That's really the best that you can do to prepare for that. If you're lucky, you'll be near an embassy because that's where you need to go. If you aren't, you need to figure out how to get to one. And that is not something that I've dealt with. Um, but it probably just entails getting to the nearest big city. So hopefully you can do that without too much hassle. Like I said, keep an extra ID of some kind with you. Also, having a copy of your passport with you is required by law in some countries. So keep copies of that passport stashed safely as well. And here's an idea. It wouldn't hurt to snap a photo of your stamp as you enter a country either, which proves that you are there legally at least. Um, here's the best advice though. Don't lose it. If it's stolen from you, like it was my friend, that's one thing, but please, you guys be smart. Don't lose your stuff. It's just super inconvenient. And that segues beautifully into the next question. Um, Graciela asks, (laughs) what should someone do if they lose their things or they get stolen? Is there any rule of thumb for a list of things to do? Call consulate, credit cards, family, et cetera. The worst that's happened to me is leaving a credit card and having to cancel, which was no big deal, but you never know. Okay. Now, if you do lose your stuff, deal with it smartly. If you lost a card, call your bank immediately and cancel it. And this goes for any and all cards that you may have lost, which means you need to know your inventory. You need to know what you lost. So it's not a bad idea to keep a list of that somewhere or possibly even a list of the phone numbers that go with your card. And the annoying part about this is having no card while you figure out how to get a new one issued. And this is why it's important to bring backup cards and stash them safely in different places in your luggage. I always carry one or two with me and I always have one or two more stashed somewhere else. That way, if you lose one bag, hopefully you still have a way to get money. If you have something stolen from you, it's not a bad idea to file a police report either. And this is going to be necessary if you're going to claim travel insurance for it or any sort of insurance for it. It doesn't have to be travel. I actually know that some homeowners and rental renters insurance will cover some of your personal belongings if they get stolen while you're traveling as well. So you may have a policy that covers you to help out with uh, getting back some of what was lost, but I can almost guarantee that you're going to need a police report. And so if you do have anything big that's stolen, um, you know, don't, don't hesitate to contact 
either the police or security, depending on where you are and file a police report so that at least you have that on hand proof of the value of the things that you lost. So you can try to replace them, etc. I actually have not gone through with this myself in my 15 plus years of travel. I have never had anything stolen from me. And uh, I like to think that that's because I'm a smart traveler. Common sense goes a long way, you guys. I am telling you. You can reference that episode 64 again, which is uh, safety tips for travelers. And I have a whole section about this in the blueprint, of course, as well. Um, So I'll leave you guys with that. Just, uh, you know, file a police report if you need to cancel your cards if you need to. You could call your family, but I wouldn't bring them into it unless you're asking them specifically for help with, uh, you know, handling your mail to to get a card shipped to you or something. Because there's nothing they can do. You're you're kind of on your own if you've if you've lost something. So, um, but if you need help, moral support, sure, call your family. And I'm only laughing because it it does suck to find yourself in situations like this when you're abroad and you don't know what to do. You know, but just try to take the smart steps to replacing what you have and taking care of any reports and anything that you might need to file insurance. Okay. Switching gears a little bit here. Kate asks, with so many amazing places in the world and wanting to visit all of them, how do you decide what trip to take next? What you'd like to see the most? Flight deals, budget-friendly places in general? Okay, you guys, do I have to say it? There is a huge section about this in the course, Uh, but I'll touch on some of the main points here. Number one, I want to say, listen to yourself. The world is open to you. I may be in Patagonia. Your other friends may be in Australia or France or sipping rum from a coconut in Panama, but is that what you want? Story time. One time around Christmas of 2015, I was in Europe traveling with my brother. We had URL passes and we were able to go just about anywhere with them. So we decided to take them to Switzerland. Why? Because it has always been on our bucket list. We ended up spending Christmas there. Uh, We went skiing in the Alps, which was another thing on, on our bucket list. And we also did a midnight race on New Year's Eve in Zurich, which was so much fun. We sought out the things that we wanted to do in a place that we wanted to go. And that was only part of our two weeks with URL. Um, And if you want to know more about that trip, go to that link that I already mentioned, thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash URL. And you'll be able to find a link to our our actual trip there, which is in another post. I'll I'll link to it on the show notes page as well. But um, also right around that same time, I had no plans for what I was going to do after my brother left to go back to the States. I had no plans to return to the US anytime soon, but I did not know where I should go. What I did know was that I needed some sunshine and I really didn't want to spend the rest of the winter in the winter. So in a moment of solitude, I actually closed my eyes and I asked myself, if I could go anywhere in the world, where would I go? Knowing that it was summer in the Southern Hemisphere, Argentina immediately came to mind. I've always wanted to live in Argentina, yet I'd never even been there. I didn't want to go there until I had time to stay, to really get a feel for it and get a good Argentina fix. And you know what? This was the time. 
With that in mind, I started looking up different towns to live in in Argentina. And I came across a really helpful blog where some guy had listed out five different Argentinian cities and the advantages and disadvantages of living in each. And to me, Bariloche stood out above the rest because it called to me. This guy described it as an outdoor lover's heaven in the mountains and lake district of Patagonia. And that sounded perfect to me. Uh, Not to mention the fact that there's a whole bunch of craft beer and chocolate there. So the next thing that I looked at was flights because I needed to know how much it would even cost me to get there. I mean, could I even afford this? So I was in Europe. So I checked several departure cities and I found a ticket out of Madrid all the way to Bariloche for about 500 bucks. And that I knew I could certainly afford. And I probably booked it within a few days after that. Everything about it just felt right. So that's a really good example of how I choose trips when I have no outside factors influencing me. And what I mean by that is in my field of work, Sometimes I get invited to conferences or trips and I leverage those to stay in those countries or in that region for a while. So that also plays a part. And perhaps that could be similar for some of you as well. I mean, if a friend of yours is planning a trip somewhere and wants a travel buddy, or maybe you have an opportunity to go to a certain place, you could also leverage that. Uh, But my main point here is ask yourself what you really want to see. And then start to research that place, see when is the best time to go, how much time you need there, et cetera, how much plane tickets are, and make your decision based on your instincts and your research. And if you want more details and resources, a lot of them for how to do this really smartly, then come join us in the online course. Okay, just a couple more here. And two of these have to do with travel insurance, which is a very popular topic. So here goes. Matt asks, how long or substantial does a flight or trip have to be for you to actually consider getting flight insurance or travel insurance? And Dylan asks, how soon before a trip should you buy travel insurance? Is this something that can be done as soon as the week before or does it matter just as long as you have it? Uh, First of all, to answer Matt's question... The trip length has nothing at all to do with insurance. You either get insured or you don't. It doesn't matter if your trip is one day or 30. Length really does not have anything to do it. You either get it or you don't. And I do. Um, And on to Dylan's questions. What matters is that you purchase before you leave, A, but... I would, um, yeah, so I would mark your calendar for, you know, at least a day in advance to get that travel insurance because you want it before you fly or all of the flight and baggage benefits are forfeit. Also, if you purchase a flight and then something happens to you and you can't make it, you won't be able to claim insurance for trip cancellation unless you already have insurance. So it's wise to get insurance at the time you make your initial investment for a trip, whether that be the paying the deposit or booking a flight, uh, you might as well because you're only paying for the time that you're on the trip anyway. It doesn't cost you anything to purchase travel insurance in advance. And that way, if you don't end up being able to go on the trip, you already have the trip insured and you could file. I mean, it has to be a covered reason, but you could file for trip cancellation if your travel insurance insurance policy covers trip cancellation. So consider that, but 
whatever you do, definitely get it before you go. And if you need help navigating travel insurance, I have a post for that. You can go to thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash insurance. (laughs) It's a good thing this episode is ending soon because my tongue is starting to get tied. (laughs) So thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash insurance, which basically is a breakdown of what everything means. It's just meant to help you understand what you're purchasing and why it's necessary. All right. One last question. And there is a reason I chose this one to end on a fun note. And this one comes from Chris. (laughs) Chris wants to know top three craft beers in the world ranked. This is a tall order. And I think that my answer might change on a day to day basis, depending on what I'm thirsty for and where I am in the world. But I'll answer it for now, just for fun. Also, um, I am not including the US in this because in my humble opinion, nobody in the world does craft beer even close to how the US does it. They are far and away the pioneers in the movement with the greatest tasting crafted ales in the entire world. So I'm not going to include them in this list. We're just gonna go outside of the US for this one. And I am currently in Chile. I am two days away from starting my second group trip through the Lake District of Patagonia. Although by the time you hear this, it will be in the past. And so I have this immediate area of South America on my mind right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and answer this by listing three of my favorite beers from this area in no particular order. First is the Porter from Antares which is an Argentinian brewery, Uh, such a good beer. And they had a brewery in, uh, they have a brewery in Bariloche, which is where I got to know this beer originally. Um, And speaking of right down the road from that one, there is a brewery called Manouche (laughs) and they have a black IPA and black IPA. If you guys have listened to me or followed me for any length of time, you know that that's my favorite style. Um, And so I was thrilled to find a black IPA in Patagonia. (laughs) Um, So the black IPA from Manouche gets a point, a vote from me. Uh, It's also Argentinian, obviously. And for my third, I'm going to go with a Chilean beer. And it happens to be the beer that is in my hand right now. (laughs) It is the Yagan Dark Ale from Austral, which is a brewery from Punta Arenas, which is the very southern tip of Chile. And um, all of those are black. So it probably reflects the fact that it's been cool and rainy here for the past week. It's early spring. Although for me, I do drink black beer all year round. So maybe that doesn't matter. And just for fun right now, I'm actually going to take a selfie of myself holding this beer, a selfie of myself drinking this beer. And I'm going to put it on the show notes page. One more thing to look for. Um, Ask me that again sometime. I will give you three more beers to think about and cheers. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for a whole bunch of good questions and for sticking around to listen to my voice for half an hour straight. I have one more episode for you that is similar to this in that it's just me. It's a solo episode. So hopefully you're not sick of me quite yet. Uh, And then I'll be back to bringing some guests on. And I really think that you're going to like who I have lined up. So once again, you can find all the notes and links and all the cool things that I mentioned for this episode 
at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 85, just the number, not the word. And don't forget to grab the free packing guide that includes a little gift for you as far as the online course is concerned. And you can get that at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash resources. I'll put a link to it on the show notes page as well, just for kicks, because I don't have enough links on there already. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, from wherever you are. This is me signing out for now from Chile. Ciao. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.